1: Hey, back again, this is Joel Block, and this morning we're going to have with us Jessica Pettit, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, being disruption-proof and some of the business and uh, modeling issues that she's had in her business. Uh, We'll talk about those things. This is going to be a fascinating discussion because she does some things that are different than so many of us. So, Jessica, welcome. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Great. Hey, so uh, why don't you just introduce yourself real quick, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what it is that you do and what you're out there uh, making happen.
2: Absolutely. So I'm an entrepreneur and I work with businesses, organizations, and associations to be able to handle difficult situations or difficult topics, either through consulting work or working one-on-one coaching or training and speaking.
1: Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So you're, uh, so when you talk about difficult situations, what, what exactly, what does that mean? I mean, uh,
2: Sure. So sometimes the difficult topics or difficult situations are kind of more ethereal, right? So like uh, they're required trainings or topics that people want to talk about. When we start talking about disruption, um, a lot of diversity related issues, sexual harassment issues, things like this that are kind of sticky topics that people know they don't want to have problems with. And so that's kind of the disruption proofing. Um, Not always successful, but it's kind of like ground zero for that. And then the other piece is when something does happen, so disruption has occurred, whether it's in business flow, they're losing customers, they have a lot of employee turnover, like what is going on? Something has happened. They don't know what's happened. So then I come in and kind of figure out what happened. And then we build the steps so it doesn't happen again. And then the third angle of my business is when it didn't happen to you, but it happened to one of your competitors or a company that you benchmark yourself against. And so you don't want to be them. So you now you're trying to like beat it before it happens.
1: So you're a, you're a business consultant and you do some, uh, some specialty kind of work. I mean, that's what I'm, what I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. Cause when I think about disruption, I think about the environment changing and companies getting thrown out of business, but you're talking about disruption there are a lot of things that could disrupt a company. Uh, bad employees could be disruptive internally, I guess, is what you're saying. So, yeah,
0: I
2: mean, I think that the, the, when we started talking originally about disruption, what I think is so interesting is that there's kind of this macro-level planning. Like, you want to be recession-proof. You want to be able to work your business plan and business model long into the future but somewhere there's a little voice in your head that's like, you don't know what's going to happen. And so you try and do all these things to like prepare for the unknown. Yeah. One piece of disruption, right? But another piece of disruption is something that like plunks in your lap. It wasn't part of the plan. You you may or may not have even seen it coming. Um, I think sometimes being blindsided by something is actually easier to deal with than seeing it coming and not knowing what to do about it
1: yeah you know that that's this you know what's interesting um, is I think about disruption as kind of an external thing coming onto the inside. You're talking about something on the inside that uh, you know is is very damaging and, yeah. and actually it's it's very interesting this is fascinating because uh, problems come from the outside but they also come from the inside mm-hmm. so so what are some of the big problems that you see? what are things that companies deal with and you know what are some of the things they can do to solve those problems? what sure. happens?
2: So I unfortunately, I do not have like a three bullet list of being disruption proof. But I do think that there's a way of noticing and I use the word notice on purpose, because I don't think that you can see it coming. And I think even even like when I was building my own business, I'm originally from Texas. And so I think my kind of mental plan as I was building my business was kind of building a fort on a hill so that I could see competitors and success and customers like coming slowly up the hill and be prepared and for it's them. kind
1: of like your own little Alamo, huh?
2: Right, exactly. That's exactly what I pictured. <laughs> Except the Alamo is like next to a McDonald's now, so that doesn't work current stance. But yes, that's what I pictured. But the reality is, is that when I started building Momentum, Um, I did not see it coming up the hill in some slow organized way that I'd planned for. It was like a comet came smashing down and all of a sudden five years later, I like, (laughs) like caught my breath, but I was successful and was turning a profit and customers were falling out of the sky. And that is also disruptive because I didn't have a plan. I don't, I didn't have strategy. I didn't know how I was going to keep this going. Right. So I do think the external thing is really important, but one of my specialties and the kind of stuff that I prefer to do is when there's the tremors or some people refer to it as the internal cancer and they can't name it and they can't find it, but they can't retain their employees. Customers aren't loyal. They're uh, wasting a lot of resources or money, and they can see that happening on paper, but they don't know where it's coming from.
1: I love that uh, concept of internal cancer. I I mean, that is very vivid. That is a very graphical image that we all can relate to.
2: Yeah, well, an organization that I was just working with, I was supposed to be doing some like board development, teamwork kind of thing because it fit into their big external plan. And when I came in, what I realized was is that there was a an affair triangle happening in the leadership team.
1: I mean between some of the people.
2: Three people, one person was sleeping with two people. And what's amazing is those three people are the only people that thought it was a secret. So
0: probably
1: always the case. Yeah.
2: So I walked into the room and I was like
1: Uh, something's going on.
2: Right. So then when I did my one on one interviews, people were referring to like favoritism or like I am not part of the group or whatever. Like these kind of things really are toxic.
1: And And it really it really uh, it must affect the way that there are their morale and uh, their enthusiasm and all the other things.
2: Absolutely. And as I kept digging, there was a fourth person who had been having an affair but they broke it off, and now these two were still having the affair, except they didn't know about each other.
1: So this now, is a this is a quite a friendly company, I guess.
2: Right, right. Now, so everything was consensual. So I mean, yeah. that's also important, right? Is that when it's quid pro quo or such? Yeah. A, that's a completely different kind of disruption. But even consensual amorous relationships really impact not just team morale, but how that team works, how they solve problems. In the moment when they need to solve something with a customer or a client, they don't feel like they have a team to go to. So when you have a team of mavericks, you things get way more expensive. You start losing profits. And the client or the customer on the other side of it is like, I don't know what happened. But I used to be able to pick up the phone and like I got immediate customer service. And now it feels like the clients or customers will tell me it feels like all of a sudden I'm like walking in a swamp. And it's just sticky and harder to get through. So I'm just going to go someplace else.
1: You know, uh, I always thought that uh, you're more about diversity than, uh, than, than solving these kinds of problems. I mean, are these, are these things kind of related?
2: In my opinion, they are. Um, I think that I had a very limited definition of what a diversity trainer does. But when you really start talking about power and privilege and communication and teamwork, all of those things come together. It's the same skill set. And so I may very well be talking about, I worked with a hospital, for example, where they had a really toxic work environment in the children's emergency room. Mm -hmm. And so what was amazing was when the emergency lights went on and an ambulance came in and brought a kid in, it was like a synchronized ballet. But the second it wasn't an emergency and they were in different bays in the ER, it was toxic and awful and horrible. Some of that was around gender, race, class, education, experience on the ward for sure. But the real root of the problem was that they didn't have strong leadership, right? So-
1: so Well, there, there are, uh, listen, there, there are a couple of big lessons from that. Number one, uh, and I think the United States of America has this problem, you know, that uh, when there's nothing going on, we all, you know, pick little fights with each other. But when, uh, you know, when push comes to shove, uh, we, do, we do come together and, and, and be a team. And that's one of the things that we all have to remember is that at the end of the day, we are a team. Mm-hmm. And, and that emergency room, I mean, listen, when push come to shove, they, they were a team. I'm not saying that the rest of the day is okay, but at least if they didn't come together then, that would be a whole different problem, wouldn't it?
2: Well, yeah. And to quote one of the nurses, there's also video cameras in uh-huh. the emergency bay. Yeah. So they're held, but what that means is they're held accountable for their behaviors.
1: Sure, um, sure. Well, you know this this uh, this actually has gone in a little different direction than I thought. I mean, I, I so often think about a disruption as being an outside force that we have to adapt to, but there are so many things that are internal that can be disruptive. So, what are some other uh, situations? And 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 I want to know specifically how do you fix these kinds of problems between people when people uh, listen? I'm in the money business. I mean, everything I have to do with is money, you know, it, it's different. I don't deal with human resources related problems. Human capital is a whole different thing than financial capital. Uh, both important, but they're they're just different skills. And, and so it's very fascinating for me to kind of get your take on human capital. How do you uh, fix these kinds of problems when you come across them?
2: Well, I would say two things immediately came to mind when you asked the question. So the first one is, is that if, if you're going to say, like, let's say that I'm human capital and you're finance capital, whatever those words would be, I don't know, clearly not. Right? So like, generally speaking, inside of a business or an organization, part of being disruption proof, we think is to keep these two things separate, right? Like you go do the human stuff, you go do the money stuff. But what ends up happening is if these two groups have been kept separate, then it's disruptive when all of a sudden we have to work together right? So to really disruption proof your business, what you need to do is to mix things up so that we actually have a relationship and we know that, yeah, I don't, I mean, Joel, you know me well enough to know that like everything you could talk about, I would glaze over and eventually write you a check, right? Yeah.
1: But, and, and, by, and by the way, a lot of stuff you talk about, I glaze over too. So right. this, I don't know that worried. you
2: always write me a check though. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd give me a hug, right? But, but if we can learn the importance of each other's roles without looking at it like, that's that stuff, that's going to be disruption proof, right? Because now we already know, like, wait a minute, I know the best person for this. Instead of feeling like, oh, I don't know how to deal with this, you have a team, right? Yeah. So infrastructurally wise, that's really important. The other piece.
1: You know, you know, what kind of makes me uh, think here is that, uh, you know, putting uh, the human capital, the financial capital and all the other entities. I mean, I'm also uh, big on, you know, kind of combining and having, uh, you know, overlaying skills. Because remember, I'm entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial people really kind of have overlaps. They don't get siloed the way that corporate people do. And that's a real problem for corporate people. And I I, would like to help them learn to be less siloed and more into uh, kind Mm -hmm. of the overlap thing. But it's almost like a feng shui. In in a certain way, you know, you talk about uh, there's kind of a a rhythm about how, uh, you know, people need to get together and and, and get along and and that they all need to have certain respect and understanding and uh, certain knowledge about each other's environment so that they can maximize the opportunity for the good of the whole company.
2: Right. And it's more expensive to not do it than the time and treasure it takes to provide that space, right?
1: Mm, Very fascinating. uh,
2: on kind of a macro level, that's one thing. The second piece that I would say, and I think it's funny is that in business worlds, I always hear follow the money. So what I would say is follow the problem, right? So let's go back to that emergency room for just a second. So one of the things that is costing a lot of money is waxing the floors. And so they have stopped waxing the floors. Certainly daily. Now they try to do it like once a week. So what ends up happening is the housekeepers, so one in particular has worked at that ER for 36 years. So for 36 years, she has waxed those floors as dictated by the amount of staff she has has, until she wasn't allowed to do it every day anymore because it was too expensive because it took her too long. So they just cut it back. So her morale goes down because she feels it's not as clean as it used to be, right? So that's happening. So if the housekeeping morale is down and that this place is a dump, do you think that they work extra hard to make it their cleaning standards with less staff, less products, and less time?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes, um, sometimes, you don't, sometimes you don't save money when you save money.
2: Right. They want to, but they literally do not have the time, money, space, and staff to do what they want to do. So then they just, they fear where they work. That is contagious. Yeah. So here's what happens. I found that out and I followed the problem down. And what it turns out to is to save money. It's exactly what you just said. To save money, they started buying cheaper crayons to save money. Because instead of buying the good crayons, they bought the cheaper crayons. Well, the cheaper crayons, when, you, when kids, it's a children's ER, right? color on the floor, it doesn't come up off the floor as easily. <laughs> So why don't you spend three extra cents on the nicer crayons that are easier to clean so that they can actually put the entire ER back to like this yeah. you know, sanitized standards that the you know,
1: that's this is a, we could generalize this problem. This, this is a real thing. You know, it's um, you know, they're, they're shutting down, you know, what comes in the front door and it's leaking out the back door. I, I mean, you know, sometimes money is not obvious. Sometimes, uh, you know they think they're saving but the truth is instead of it being a direct expense it ends up becoming
0: an
2: indirect expense right
1: and, well, and we, they they still we, they still don't get to keep the money
0: right
2: and when we layer on what i would call diversity <laughs> or inclusion issues right the housekeeping staff don't have a lot of voice to explain hi these cheap crayons are really causing a lot of problems if they were to say that it's much easier for them to be dismissed as a lower wage lower educated, usually people of color who work at night. So then the leadership aren't listening to them, right? So that's
1: where those- The thing is that, you know, those people who are uh, in the field really know what's going on though. They know better than the leadership people. So how do, you, how do you address this problem? How do you get leaders to listen to people who are in the field? What kind of an environment needs to be established, even though uh, clearly the field people know what's going on, the leaders don't, uh, but the leaders are calling the shots. How, how do you bridge that gap?
2: Well, in my opinion, what you need to do is you need to be responsible for who and how you are when you show up to work. And so often I come into an organization and I'm being told to work with them because they're screwing everything up, when in reality, the lack of self-awareness of what's happening and how they're leading is actually the problem. So as the outside expert, I come in, right? I don't, again, I do not believe that I am a thought leader. I think I make leaders think,
1: Yeah, I love that. Say say that again. I think you need to say that slower and say it again, because that really, that's an impactful uh, approach.
2: So it's a cycle. I get hired because leaders think I am a thought leader so that I'm going to work with these people down here. But the reality is, is that I make these leaders actually think about what it is they're doing in their leading.
1: That's really, it's fantastic. That is really smart. I mean, that's, you know, listen, the highest level of leadership has to be getting other people to think for themselves. Right. I mean, it's, it's, re- it's really good, really smart. So,
2: and it's disruption-proof.
1: Well, it- that's certainly uh, part of the formula of being disruption-proof is getting people to be aware, getting them to be sensitive, getting them to pay attention. And when they're paying attention, uh, the likelihood of them being blindsided is tremendously reduced.
2: Or, as I, I like to say, you're still going to be blindsided. You'll just see it coming.
1: Well, you, you you might well
2: <laughs>
1: hopefully, uh, hopefully that wouldn't be blindsided. I mean, hopefully you could do some uh, limited amount of preparation. I mean, listen, you know, hopefully when the uh when the bell rings and there's a uh, you know an emergency that says get out of the house because of the flood coming or there's a fire coming, or something happening, at least you have some amount of uh, preparation time. It may not be perfect, but at least there's some amount of time that you can prepare and you can be ready.
2: Well, and if you have the base relationships, I mean, so this is kind of funny, but last night um, we realized that my oven or our oven, I guess, has a self-cleaning button. I did not know this. It's a gas oven. I've never had a gas oven. I'm totally scared of it. So last night as we are going to bed, we turn it on and it locks itself. And it says in three hours, it's going to be clean. So and part of me is like, oh, I'm so excited about this. So I lay down in bed and I'm like, I'm cleaning my oven. I'm so productive. And then all of a sudden I was like, where is the fire extinguisher? Like I'm going to sleep. Yeah. I will be asleep right, while right, right, right. If something were to go wrong, let's yeah. pretend I wake up. Where is the fire extinguisher? Yeah. Like, that's what I mean by blindsided, but you see it coming.
1: Well, you know, and that's something that, uh, you know, companies really need. They need to have their, uh, their business fire extinguisher. Right. You know, when, when a problem comes up, they need to have all the tools in place. They need to know exactly how they're going to deal with these kinds of problems and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And if there are external problems, they need to have a plan. If they are internal problems, they need to have a plan. And right. a lot of times, they don't have a plan. They, they don't, don't have, have the right if, advisors in place.
2: And it's not a nimble plan. So even if, I mean, like, let's, let's go to politics, speaking of a topic no one likes to talk about. But regardless of who's getting elected in a local, state, or federal election, we have a plan of how things are supposed to go. And then stuff happens, and you're like, wait, what, what's going on? What, I, I did not plan for that. Right. So, uh, what's the the military quote? Like, well intended plans always change.
1: Yeah. You know what? Not sure. But, but, you know, but but this does make a lot of sense to me that uh, companies need to have uh, their plans in place, their processes in place. If you've got good plans and process, you can be a little bit nimble and you can kind of jump around as as things happen and and you need to kind of, uh, you know, just kind of go with the flow. But if you don't have everything organized in advance, if there a lot of thought hasn't been done and and kind of what you're talking about, what I'm kind of getting from you is that you you need to have not just plans and process, but you also need to have, uh, you know, certain kind of rhythms organized between people. There needs to be a certain amount of bonding that takes place where people trust each other to do the right thing at the right time. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on. This this turned out, uh, this is a very fascinating discussion because well, it really it really brings the a concept of disruption to internal issues instead of only external ones
2: right well and what you're talking about that i think is important when you're talking about plans is we often have external plans we don't typically have internal plans But again, with this division is my human capital kind of people are much more likely to have an internal plan than an external plan. And y'all's people are much more likely to have external plans, but not internal plans. Right, Right, right. And we're terrified on some level to do the other one. So the whole concept, my concept of good enough now is the idea that if you try to try then you'll be able to have both of these plans working together and both of your plans working together. Now we actually have real teamwork, not just an org chart.
1: Well, theoretically uh, that's the CEO's job. The CEO's job is to make sure that all the different silos are cooperating and all the information is working together and all the, you know, that's really the person that's really uh, supposed to make sure that everything is happening together. It doesn't always happen. Certainly the CEO has some, uh, preference. I prefer this department over this department or these people over those people. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but, uh, you certainly make an excellent argument for why, uh, more people being more organized and more involved, uh, is good for the company overall. Uh, having siloed organizations is just a terrible idea. Yes. So, Hey, listen, why don't we, why don't we wrap up? You want to, uh, uh, Make it possible for people to get in touch with you. You want to share some information? We'll, uh, we'll put it on the website, but you want to just give us any info? Sure.
2: My name is Jessica Pettit. Thank you again for having me as a guest. Yeah, sure. And I always give out a <sighs> testing number just in case people have any questions I can ever help. You can always... Yeah,
1: please do. Uh,
2: it's 202-670-4262. 202-670-4262. I get texts all day long, so it's not my cell phone number. You can text anytime, otherwise, email me at jess at goodenoughnow.com.
1: So people can get a hold of you and uh, reach out for questions. Well, listen, thank you very much. Really appreciate you uh, uh, sharing some ideas, and uh, I'll look forward to being in touch with you again soon. That'd
2: Thanks so cool. much. Thanks so much.
1: Take care.
0: by Audavita Studios Connect your voice to the world